2: This is the Tom Bernard Show. I'm Dave Schrader, sitting in for Tom. He'll be back with you tomorrow. Joining us now on the line, Kristen Burt. Kristen, welcome.
3: Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm great, thank you. Really busy, but good. (laughs) Well,
2: that's good news, right?
3: Yeah, it is good news. I was on the uh, set last night of dancing with the stars with all the athletes, so it was a late night, but it was a good night.
2: How is that shaping up? I mean, is this, uh, you think this is going to be a pretty special season because of all the celebrity uh, athletes they brought on?
3: See, I think, it's, I think it's cool because it's, I like the theme aspect of it because athletes have a tendency to do very well on Dancing with the Stars. But sort of overshadowing all of this is the fact that ABC cut their season down from 10 weeks to 4 weeks, cut the budget, and really only gave them like 2, 4, six, seven hours in total over these 4 weeks because of American Idol. And we know how American Idol is going. So it's a little bit bittersweet, I think, for everybody.
2: Is that, do you think they're doing a, a kind of a truncated version because of the they weren't sure how this was going to go over with it being athlete celebrities? The whole, you know, the whole show. They've done that on other game shows and other things like that where they've had special versions, but they always seem to shorten it if they've got like a, kind of this uh, unique take on it for a change, just to test it out first.
3: Actually, uh, Dancing with the Stars was not supposed to happen at all this spring. It got completely cut at first. And then when uh, when ABC realized that they were in a little bit of trouble when it came (laughs) to American Idol, I mean, and that became apparent very quickly. That narrative wrote itself. Um, They decided, they're like, okay, we've got a four-week hole in here that we can do something. I think they were going to do specials or reruns or something, and they wound up just doing a truncated version of Dancing with the Stars, and they're like, how can we make it quick? And oftentimes athletes cannot commit to the show, because normally it's a 10-week But people forget that there's three weeks ahead of time before the show even makes it to the air for rehearsal. So it's over 13, sometimes even 14 weeks. Um, And athletes sometimes can't commit to that. So they're like, we'll do a shortened version, four weeks. They did three weeks of rehearsal before the show aired. And that's how that all came to play. So this is going to be so fascinating as the new season comes up because I'm like, is American Idol going to be on there? Or are they just going to... My thing is, I think that they've got, like, Enough pride where they're like, we're going to do season two because we know what mistakes we made and we're going to continue. But honestly, they probably should just like call it a day and wrap it up. Why?
2: Why Idol. do you think Idol fell out of favor so bad? I mean, that was it. That was the show that caught everybody's attention
4: for so long. It's just been on for so. It's how long? It's been like what? Fifteen years.
3: Yeah, it started. Two thousand two was the very first year. Yeah. So,
4: so
2: yeah. Right, but then you've got Dancing with the Stars, which is still doing amazing. And what are they, on season 472 now?
3: Season 26. And don't forget, they do two seasons a year. Right. They do a fall and a spring season. But I think, you know, what changes it, people show up for the celebrities because you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's 7'2", is going to try and dance. Like you, You stop in. Tanya Harding. I interviewed Tanya Harding last night. I was really in my head, like, the whole time thinking, This is Tonya Harding I am standing
5: in front of. (laughs) Yeah, but being from Massachusetts, aren't you supposed to be a Nancy Kerrigan fan?
3: Well, here's the thing. I was talking about this last night because I I went out with some of um, the crew after, and I was like, you know, it's very interesting because I do have strong – I've followed figure skating for decades. My mom was a big fan, so I kind of grew up with it, even though I wasn't a skater myself. And even though Nancy's from Boston, I've always felt Nancy was a victim – Tanya never owned what she did and never gave that sincere apology. And I do feel like had she given that sincere apology two decades ago, the road to forgiveness would have been much easier. However, last night when I interviewed her, I had nothing but empathy for her in terms of who she is. You can completely tell that she has never been given the right toolbox of like how to cope um, because she's been living with dysfunctional people her whole life. So she's completely a people pleaser and an extreme one where she wants you to like her and she'll do anything, anything that it takes to get you to like her. And uh, she really wants to be there. She really wants to rewrite her story. And I'm hoping that maybe this is the path that helps her get there. I don't know. But, you know, a, a part of me does think that she does owe Nancy like that one sincere apology, probably not on camera, um, just, to, just to say, you know, I've grown up. I've, this is what I've learned and I'm really sorry.
2: You don't think that you know her? Her big comeback was celebrity boxing against uh, Paula Jones.
6: <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's kind of amazing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah that <laughs> it's actually kind of launched
3: that, that happened.
2: That launched a career for her. She did boxing for quite a few years after that.
3: Yes, she did. You know, she was someone that you know needed to make money. She's been she's completely banned from figure skating for life. She cannot perform. You know, she can coach. But she can't coach anyone that is sanctioned by the USA Figure Skating um, League. So it's just one of those things that it's really, really hard um, for her to make a living. And, you know, I don't know what she's going to do post Dance with the Stars, but she's putting her all into it. And that's all you can ask for a contestant. But I still like even interviewing her. I'm like, I feel empathy for you in this moment and still conflicted over the whole situation and what happened.
7: You know, if we can we go back to for a minute why uh, American Idol has sort of waned in popularity, and some of these other shows I think have waned as well. I wonder if it has to do with uh, a generational thing, where younger gener- younger people now who have cell phones really don't follow those kind of programs. They're on YouTube, following the people there that are doing their own little show, um, so that there's not so that that's the talent or the talent search pool or uh, search engine or search show uh, in a in a unorganized way that's captivating that audience rather than this organized kind of thing that's that sort of was run into the ground because it's just over and over exactly the same thing oh, time and time and time again
2: well and the youtube thing has become buffet tv right yep. so if you yep. don't want to watch all of dancing with the stars i know i can go check the next day and just see you know Nancy or see tanya harding's dance i don't have to watch the entire yep. show to catch that bit
7: right
3: and that's what a lot of people do with dancing with the stars because one video becomes viral and you just watch that one dance that week
7: yeah but exactly so the, it's viewing has just just changed dramatically and I don't think people uh or sort network TV don't haven't accepted that or haven't figured out or if they or will they be able to figure out how to monetize that and how to use that as part of their ratings And just because it's just it, 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 I don't I just talk in fact I talked to somebody that uh, shocked me he was so oh, I would say mid40s he said yeah I only watch YouTube I don't watch. I don't watch regular TV. I cut the cable. I don't. I'm nothing else. I just watch YouTube. I watch educational things on YouTube, entertainment on YouTube. I just watch that. And it was just. It was a a person that I did not expect to hear that from. I would expect to hear that from uh, someone who's 25, but not someone in mid 40s, mid late 40s. I just fascinating. So I think things are really changing in a dramatic way that you know we're just not accepting.
3: And you know, also I think you look at the voice that is killing it it's not making stars out of the contestants but we show up to see the judges we show up to see who's new and you see them all fighting and things like that and that's fun but it's kind of interesting that that's why people show up on Dancing with the Stars even like oh I just need to see that one person dance because I don't think they can dance but other than that you know uh, you know waiting week to week I'm even kind of annoyed like on Hulu Handmaid's Tale is you know, they're dropping one episode a week, I'm like, I just want to binge it, honestly. I want to spend a Friday night and just watch, stay up all night and watch every episode.
7: All night? That's yep, a lot. all night. That's a lot of I popcorn. Watch
3: the whole thing. A lot of popcorn. I do that with Stranger Things, too.
2: That's You know, the, here's, the, here's the weirdest trend in watching right now that's going on, Ralph. Um, I've got little kids, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They like to go on YouTube, kids' YouTube, and watch other kids play with toys.
4: Yep. Toy channels are So huge. they don't
2: want to play with toys. I can't get them to focus on, hey, look, Dad got your Godzilla toys. Oh, yeah. Hey, Dad, look at this. And then they pull up a video of a kid playing with a Godzilla toy, taking it out of the package, talking about the toy, playing with it, and they will be transfixed for 20 minutes watching somebody else play with a toy. I, I don't know what's going on in the world with
7: entertainment. What's going on in the world with entertainment is that people find that relaxing. Yeah. And that's exactly what I've seen on the cooking channel. And on the Food Network, if you look at those television shows, they are nothing about cooking, nothing about technique, nothing about cooking at all. All they are is someone, a talking head, that and some some with bigger heads than others, um, <laughs> that are there. And, and what and the key shot, that sort of the money shot of Food Network is cutting up an onion. Every episode has. Oh, I'm going to show you how to cut up an onion. And it and it's this relaxing kind of mindless TV that people enjoy. Not unlike, but not unlike professional sports to a certain extent. Not unlike reading a crappy novel. Not unlike soap operas. Which you see, is they're, mindless they're TV. they chef.
5: I mean, they've gone to school, they're a chef. Whereas YouTube gives somebody a platform to shove a condom up their nose or eat yeah. a Tide Pod. I mean, yeah. just some random person. Yeah. And, you know.
4: It is kind of obnoxious how someone can make $10,000 for doing something everyone else does except they're the lucky one who happened to get, you know. Well, there see some of the channels I get, some of the people are extremely entertaining. They're good at what they do. They're
2: funny. They're they're charming characters that you can watch on YouTube and they do these 10 little you know, 10-minute vignettes. I dig that. That's funny. Yeah. But it's the watching <laughs> watching kids color or watching kids play with toys and, and sometimes ralph it's not even kids it's my one son is addicted to this guy they never show the guy but he talks like this and well, today i got the, the the new um transformer toys and we'll see what that these ones do and it, he's opening up the packages and, and folding them out and and uh my kids are transfixed it's yeah. it's insane
7: well christian well, do, do, do you what mindless tv do you watch or are you always working
3: Um, If I need to, uh, there are days, honestly, that I need to come home and, like, kind of decompress, and I want to watch something completely mindless, I will turn on Bravo TV, and some of those, like, ridiculous reality shows, I don't even, like, sit there and focus in on them, like, I'll move around the house, but I just need something, like, mindless banter, like, a Vanderpump Rules, which is, like, trash TV, or, like southern charm and it makes me laugh because i'm like people are absurd and what are they like selling their souls to but at the same time i'm like i I don't have to listen to heavy politics i don't have to listen to like the latest entertainment news because you know that's my job and i listen to it all day long i am
5: so glad you did not say the kardashians
3: I do not watch the Kardashians. Good, I can't you. handle I, I can't even handle that as mindless honestly.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, really not pleasant. So,
7: so Christian, I, I picture you. You're in your uh you're on your workout or not a workout clothes, in uh what do you call it, uh uh sweat, really? sweats sweats uh, yeah. you know sweatshirt, sweatpants. Yoga
6: pants. Yeah, you know, yeah, yoga pants. You
7: got uh, maybe yoga sandals on, walking around the house, mouth breathing while you're listening to this. <laughs> you got your mouth open You're know, doing one thing or another You watch it You got your mouth open You're just sort of Your eyes You know Then you sit down for a minute And your eyes glaze over And you're just thinking Of something else you don't know you're if just, that says Something about Kristen Or about
3: one. you Ralph <laughs> Right Or my brain cells Like one drops out on the couch so You have to clean them up after But my husband will walk by And he'll be like What are you watching And I'll be like I don't really know And he's like Well what's the plot and I'm like I don't know I haven't really been That focused on it yes. You know
7: <laughs> and, there's, and there's a basic human need For that entertainment Yeah, truly, and every person has needs that to a certain extent. You know, we've my wife and I watch uh, these YouTube videos about these narrowboats on the canal system, and there's there's one called "Cruising the Cut," and it's it's just a fascinating kind of uh, 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 production. Uh, Guys, he is a he's a producer. He used to work uh, for one of the radio stations or TV stations there and did a he just does a wonderful job of these things and it's nothing more than him sort of cruising along in the canals you know he'll fix an engine he will you know it just absolutely it's just like the cooking shows there's no real you know substantive content in it but it's a it's a great thing to to, to watch for mind us TV you know you sit there eat pizza with your mouth open or popcorn and you, <laughs> you, just, you know and the pieces of popcorn are falling out on your lap because you got your mouth open and you
2: See, this sounds, this sounds <laughs> like a, there was a game, Andy, you're a gamer. Do you remember Animal Crossing at all? Yep. See, my kids would play this game Animal Crossing, and I couldn't understand it. To me, it just looked like the stupidest it's thing I've very, ever seen. very, very like... I picked up the, the remote one day to just see what was the allure of this. And really, what you're doing, Ralph, is you're fishing or you're catching butterflies, and then you go into the trade shop and you turn them in for money, and then you can buy things to go back to your little hut and, and
4: dress it up. Yeah, there's no combat. There's nothing to it. There's no real goals except for paying off
2: the loan
7: on your house.
2: And all of a sudden, I'm three hours into this game and I'm like, what just happened to me? But I would
7: say, I would, I would, it was like a
2: Zen garden.
7: I would say that video games all are exactly the same that way, in that they are mindless entertainment. You're there, Mm -hmm. you're interacting a little bit, but it's not much different.
2: Right, but there's action when you're watching a lot of the games, when you extreme sports, shooting stuff. I get that. This was literally just an animal fishing and then bringing the fish back to the trade shop for a, a painting <laughs> to hang up in his hut.
0: Yeah, I animal couldn't Crossing.
2: understand it, but my God, I couldn't stop playing the stupid thing, and that was a good distressor, man. I could feel every anxiety I ever had flush out of me playing that dumb game.
4: Yeah, a lot of games will test your <laughs> reflexes right. or your you know, critical thinking or this. whatever. Animal Crossing is just 100%... Mind numbing yeah. yeah, it's it's like working in a factory or something. <laughs> it's so you, just, you have a bunch of simple tasks that you just do over and over, and then you know you watch your money grow. So that's an incentive to you know keep on doing it, stay
3: Let's, on forever.
4: Exactly. Yep. Let's uh, we'll pick it up when we come back. I want to talk about the juggernaut that is the
2: Avengers and mm. uh, what's going on with that. Kristen Burt's with us. We'll be back right here on the Tom Bernard Show.
0: Tom Bernard here with CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Great to have you here, Michael.
8: Thanks, Tom. Always a pleasure to be with you.
0: One thing we keep talking about is that North American Banking Company is
8: a community bank. Why is that important? Well, two things. First, as a locally owned and operated bank, we move quickly for our customers when it matters most. You're not waiting for a loan decision to come out of state. We're making the decision right here at your home. Secondly, our customers appreciate the fact that we get to know them and understand their goals. For many of our customers, we're coaches, mentors, and sometimes sounding boards for their ideas. It's hard to get that from a big bank, but it's something we do just because it's Tuesday. Now
0: well, that sounds like a great way to do business.
8: All of our employees are working to help meet your business needs. It's how we create loyalty. Why not
0: bank with my banker, North American Banking Company? Or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK.
4: Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. We're back on
2: the Tom Bernard Show. Kristen Bert, calling in from Hollyweird.
6: <laughs>
2: Kristen, this uh, superhero thing is not going away anytime soon, is it?
3: It, it is not, and you know, it's amazing to me because I do have superhero fatigue, I'm going to be super honest, um, and it's one of those things that the general audience, though, will go and see it, and they're totally fine, and they'll go and see the reboots of this once they start, so on some point, they'll start all over again, we all know that, um, so they know how to make money at the studios, and Marvel is just going to keep cranking out these films.
2: Yes, they are well they're doing remarkable work with it and i was surprised we went to the media screening for avengers um the Mm -hmm. infinity war and i was i mean it's it's a comic book movie and people were moved around me adult men were weeping at, at know, aspects that... of the movie, I can't. What? Right, yeah. I'm not. I'm not kidding you, Mike. I had to watch guys taking off their glasses and mopping. What
8: the their hell eyes. are you crying about?
4: <laughs> you I can't abide by that.
2: Well, there there is some powerful scenes. There's some really great acting in it, and and fun oh. stuff. And I thought they did a great job of juggling all of those characters and three loveboat storylines at the same time, and making <laughs> it interesting to watch. What?
7: So there's three the the three love boat storylines. Or so what are the three uh, love lines in the in this? Well, movie? just
2: the fact like you've got one group is off doing this segment, and I don't want to give any spoilers away. So, but I want to know
7: what are the three love the love interests? A, well, you, I don't you mean love this.
2: interest specifically. I just mean remember on Love Boat they'd always break it up. You'd have oh, six oh, celebrity guest stars, and each one had their own story. And once in a while they'd come together at the at the captain's dining table, and then they'd oh, so, vex off again like Fantasy Island. So
7: Kristen, they've taken a, they've taken a. A page right out of soap operas. The A 100%. plot, the B 100%. plot, yeah, a hundred percent. Well, you have
2: to when you when you've got thirty yeah. main player B, characters, you've got to right. break them up. Because yeah.
7: what Ashley did the Young and the Restless. You know, she had her little group that she was with, and then every once in a while she would interact with Eric Braden, or she would interact with someone else in one of the other storylines. You know, it was a very interesting. Yeah, that's exactly this. It's uh, it's that uh, soap opera. But Marvel's really good material. at figuring out
2: which characters yeah, to yeah. put together in a scene yeah. that walk away with this. So it's been a lot of fun watching that. And I think what I, my belief, Kristen, and I know other people have, have voiced this, is the fact that this is, you know, this is the decade of the nerd. All of us that grew up in the '70s and '80s, loving these comic books and wanting this, technology and movies finally caught up to where they could give us this on the screen so finally we've come to age we're able to see everything we ever wanted to see when we were kids blowing up and we're the ones you know i think that are spending the most money on it is this you know probably 60 to 40 year olds that are out blowing money and then you've got your their kids that are coming into this because you're bringing them along for the ride kristen do do you know who
7: who are the who are the heads behind uh the casting and and the production of these of of the marvel uh universe
3: um, what, what's, how do you pronounce Kevin's last name? Is Kevin Feig, Feig or something Feig, like that? Yeah, Feig, Feig, yeah. it was like, it's F-E-I-G. So he is kind of the mastermind behind all of this and really organizing, like, who's going to be what superhero, like, how, like, how big their contract is. Like, there is a very specific Marvel contract, um, and how many movies you're expected to do and how many offshoots of your particular character. Like, are you going to be in Avengers? Are you going to be, like, crossing over to Captain America and, like, what world do you belong to? It's so well mapped out. It's kind of incredible the way that they've built it.
6: Yeah. And, you
3: know, other people are trying to do it. And we can, you know, take a look at what's happened over at, like, Fox and trying to do with DC. It's kind of a mess. Warner Brothers, it's just no one can do it as well. I think the anomaly has really just been Wonder Woman. Other than that, you know, trying to do Justice League, Justice League doesn't even compare no. to Avengers.
7: Does, does Stan Lee uh, have any, the uh, fact that he, organized, he created the modus to these characters, Does, is his is that unifying influence, is he involved with that? He's not doing
4: great right now.
3: No, he's, he's in a mess right now. I mean, we're talking, there's been a major Hollywood Reporter cover about him with elder abuse, surrounding himself with horrible people, his daughter, who's in her 60s, spending all of his money,
6: yeah. and this
3: all started to fall apart once his wife passed away a few years, ago. was it last year? Yeah, I think it was year. a year
4: ago. Yeah, Yeah. he's ninety some, but he's—I think he's got some like some sort of dementia and can't take care of himself. No, he's not that, but he's still doing Comic Cons. He's out there. Yeah, he's still out there meeting and greeting. He happens,
2: and I think that's great. As a matter of fact, I think they said he's already filmed uh, cameos for like the next five movies. Jesus, just so that they can keep him in the loop. But yeah, Ralph, he's kind of the tying factor. I mean, he's the Hmm. kind of the grandfather of Marvel Comics and most of these characters. Whether he fully created them, he had a hand in actually seeing most of these characters come to life he
4: co-created spider-man the hulk fantastic four daredevil black panther everybody yeah Uh, just about
2: every major character came off of of stan lee Mm -hmm. and it's cool that they've you know kept him in this kind of executive producer bit and given him a chance to make a cameo in every movie and feel like he's he's got a stamp on it so uh yeah that's been fun to watch too but man it just doesn't you think something's going to wane, and it doesn't. They just keep hitting. I think probably the weakest link in the Marvel armor right now has been the um, Doctor Strange movie.
3: Oh, and see, that was one of my favorites.
2: Right, but you don't, I, you just don't I, hear the hubbub about that that you do about every other movie that's come
3: out. And I would see for me, I would say Ant Man was like the weak link.
7: It was absolutely. Yeah, I I uh, have I have a little bit of criticism of the of Doctor Strange because when I watched it, I don't like the idea of having the doctor who is a jerk and is uh so condescending and that that that's that, the that,
2: cool new thing though but, that, but, anti- but that's well, the not, way he was but, to begin with in the well, comic books no,
7: as a physician right. as a physician I, i'm i'm like oh man you know that's like the worst part of uh, physicians but
2: is he actually a doctor yeah he was uh, like a neurosurgeon or something like that and then he he had an accident or something that happened and it crippled his hands. That's why he became the.
4: Yeah. A... Well, he got the ring right from the. Oh yeah, he like had to go over to like India or whatever <laughs> right. and learned all these deals. But that that
2: movie was interesting, but it didn't have the same charm. See, I loved Ant Man. I love the way that they make each one of these little characters kind of their own pocket universe, mm. in the sense that. They're all you part know, the of the Ant- Marvel Cinematic Universe. Right, but, but, but Ant Man to own. me was a, a caper moving, movie. It was like Ocean's Eleven. And then you've got the war movie with Captain America. Yeah. Then you've kind of got the spy thriller with Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And then you've got the fun, upbeat, you know, Spider-Man homecoming. And it's just like, I think it's really neat that they give them their own little world, and then they're able to tie them in together where they actually make, seem to make sense in this bizarre
7: tapestry. Christian, I hear you rummaging around. Are you are you, are you looking for your pocket protector and, your, uh, and the tape to put on your glasses? Is it your, no, no, I'm not right. Right.
6: I'm just kidding.
3: That's so weird. I'm sitting right here on the couch. I'm not doing anything.
7: <laughs> I know you're weird. No, no, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. We're, Because we're, we're in the middle of a boy
2: we're, nerd out, uh, out. Okay, session.
3: <laughs> I, I was like, oh, it's a joke. I'm like, what? No, you're um, n- yeah, no, I was like, yeah, I'm sitting here like filing my nails. <laughs> <laughs> but it's big <laughs> in the my entertainment clothes. world.
4: Well, um, I found some stats. I, I, well,
3: you know what? Can I, I, this is actually a good little, um, good little transition um, just because we're talking Dr. Strange. Benedict Cumberbatch has a great new series. It's a limited series on Showtime called um, Patrick Melrose, and it is so darn good. Um, have did you guys ever read the book? No. It's so it's a series of five books actually by uh, Edward St. Aubin, and it's essentially it is his life, but you know he creates another character for it. But it's about a guy who had a very abusive childhood. Then, you know, moved to New York for a bit and went through a horrific heroin addiction. Um, and it, it follows like, his whole thing into getting sober and everything else. It's over five books, so there's each episode represents a book. Um, but I'm going to tell you this, and you're going to be like, what? It's a black comedy. So you have these horrific things that happen, um, but there's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of physical comedy, too, that make you laugh out loud in the most uncomfortable and the perfect person to play that is Benedict Cumberbatch because he knows how to play that like odd, cerebral, kind of weird guy. And it's I saw it the other day. It's amazing. And what's it called? I, it, uh, it's called Patrick Melrose. It'll be on Showtime. It premieres May twelfth.
2: All right, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, he's a pretty remarkable actor. His role as Sherlock was amazing. Did you ever take advantage of watching that when it was available?
3: Yeah. He's unbelievable. Yeah. And that was that was a great, you know series as well and I think you know here's the thing they're they're pushing him big time for Emmys because I saw it at a primetime Emmys um for your consideration event and I think that this is going to be like one of those like Handmaid's Tale or like Big Little Lies that kind of sweeps in you know comes in on that limited series category and and nails it hmm. yeah
2: I'll have to check that one out he's, he's been pretty uh pretty remarkable what else is going on in the world of entertainment news Kristen
3: Oh, my gosh. I, You know, I think the, the Cosby thing last week was probably one of the biggest things to just sort of wrap up. I mean, how many years did we start on that? Like three years ago, honestly. Um, and I think that that's something that Hollywood's still trying to wrap its brain around of, of exactly, like, what happened. Because so many people were like, I don't believe these women. There were over 50 women. And obviously it's a conviction with one single person. Um, but they did allow a lot of the testimony for other women who had been victimized by him. And it was interesting to hear the jurors say it was the Quaaludes that really gave him the conviction because he joked about it on his comedy albums, He joked about it in his stand-up comedy act. And he admitted to it in a deposition. And they were like, that was the tipping point for them. He oh. drugged the women to have sex with them.
2: And now you've got, uh, what do you what do you make of this? Seth Rogen has come out in an interview and said that he'd be happy to do more movies with James Franco, even with all the controversy that's going on in Franco's life.
3: Uh, yeah, you know, it, we're this is this weird like time where you're like, are how are we supporting the Me Too movement if you're totally fine with working with James Franco? James has really been in hiding pretty much since then. Uh, we haven't seen that much of him, and he was doing. He's he's always been weird. We've talked about it on the show, and I was telling. Um, I was like, go back to 2000, I want to say 13, I think it was 13, I had had an interview with him, and he stared at my boobs the whole time. Like, he's always completely inappropriate. Um, I wonder if he's learned his lesson. We haven't seen anything from him. He hasn't really come out with an interview to say, like, I did these things or anything else. So, um, you know, using an acting school as sort of your dating pool and also abusing some of your students, not that cool. So was at an elementary school or junior high or
2: high school, you know? Right. I, I agree on that. But again, I think media is kind of putting Seth Rogen in the crosshairs of an uncomfortable situation. Do you tell, you know, do you, do you kind of go against one of your oldest and best friends and say, no, I'd never work with him again. You know, you That's want it. the redemptive clause. You want to make him feel like he's got a chance if he makes this thing right to come back.
6: But-
3: I, you know what? I think the best thing is, and it's, Matt Damon learned this lesson. Don't comment on it. Like, I just feel like I don't feel comfortable right now at this moment talking about it and just let it go. Because Matt Damon started getting himself into more and more hot water talking about the Me Too movement and Harvey Weinstein. And you're like, you're missing the point. And it's probably the same thing with Seth. Just don't comment on it.
7: You know, there's a there's a point where they can't they can't come back from that and do what they did before. Right. So, you know Harvey Weinstein can go and he could go and he could go be an accountant he could go and he could be he could do something else, but to come back in the same industry, I think that you know you've burnt that bridge you know and there's a certain you know if you, you make one mistake and you say you know you, you come on to one woman that's one thing, but we have this chronicity of behavior and abuse and power you know pushing and and that sort of stuff. when you have that, you know you've, you' know, you can't be in that industry anymore. You can't do that anymore. Go drive a garbage truck. Go to make cabinets. Go be a co- Do something. You have to do something else. And I don't think you can get, be redeemed, but you can't do that same thing. There are consequences for that. and People can forgive Ask you.
3: Ask Tonya Harding. Tonya Harding can't do figure skating anymore.
7: Yeah, there yeah, you she, go. She's,
3: That's she, exactly it.
4: She, like, builds decks or something now. We're is she all, a
3: carpenter? Yeah, <laughs> she is.
4: She's like, she's, like, some sort of carpenter or something. All work
7: is honorable. So, and it's, okay. you, you can't, in, in, in this the Me Too movement, it's is so important, um, yet there's, you know, so many people who are, you know, have been ostracized and have been convicted without a trial. You know, fortunately, um, uh, Bill Cosby had a trial, you know, but so many other people have been thrown out. They're just thrown out, you know, I mean, and rightly so. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not, there's no due process, which is, is, is a scary thing in America. We can't, but, but I do
6: agree
3: on that, but, and I also think that you know, I, I hope that women um, moving forward, if you if you have been a victim of something, let's start going like let's take those steps of like telling authorities and seeing what you can do and take those steps um, instead of just blasting it on Twitter. I mean, and I think I've said this before in terms of like if nobody's listening to you, the cops don't listen to you, and lawyers don't listen to you, nobody will listen to you. Okay, maybe then you turn to social media, but I think that even to make your case look as strong as possible in this era, try to go to the authorities or someone of authority that can help you out.
2: See, and I I follow what you're saying, but and we're up against a break. I'll, we'll talk about when we come back the idea that if you've gone to authorities, you've gone to the law, you've gone to your your. Uh, prosecutors and nobody wants to step up then maybe you take it to social media to me that becomes even more dangerous because at what point if everybody else that is in the know of the law has said there's nothing here does it still allow you to go out and besmirch somebody in the you know uh, kangaroo court of public opinion by telling people this happened even though there's not enough proof that anybody in the legal system will help we'll talk about that when we return on the tom bernard show
6: If I were a carpenter, you were a lady, would you marry me anyway?
2: This is the Tom Bernard Show. Tom will be back baby? with you tomorrow. Filling in, I'm Dave Schrader. We were talking about the kangaroo court. Mike, you were saying something during the break. We were talking about how people are quick to judge by nothing more than social media blasts. Uh, what were you? What was the story you were referring to? No, there's a local place over on West Seventh, right by
5: the X. Tom Reeds It's a good hockey place. Uh, people go there before the wild games, and you know they had the one wild or two wild games, uh, the playoff games recently. And there was a guy in there who was accused on Facebook of stealing memorabilia. Because uh, when you go in there, they just have wall to wall, you know, hockey stuff. And the guy was accused, and they went on Facebook and named him and contacted his boss and like, you know just named him publicly even though he's a private citizen and it turns out the guy had been in the restaurant a year before he wasn't even there on the night in question and they just blasted him
4: yeah that's a class action lawsuit well not like a reverse class action lawsuit basically anyone who tweeted that should be should have to like pay up i think named in
7: that suit yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's so it's social media mob mentality. Yep. Or social media justice, social media, you know, mm-hmm. I don't I hate the word lynching or or hanging or if if you if you're in some countries, stoning. Mm.
4: Well, I like yeah. how people are always so like, oh, I can't believe how barbaric we used to be. We used to, you know, lynch people without any proof or any trial. And then they go on social media and do basically the exact same thing. Except it's just, instead of uh, lynching, it's trying as hard as they can to ruin someone's life, just based on hearsay. It's yep. like, you're not any better than people used to be.
8: Well, this is,
2: and with the celebrities, Kristen, do you think any of the celebrities that have been publicly named and shamed at this point might be taking uh, a beating over nothing? I mean, is there, has there been any of the cases that seem to not hold water?
3: But the the one that's really interesting to me, and I don't know enough about it, but we do know that NBC News has had a tremendous amount of scrutiny over their department and their HR department and how they've handled sexual harassment in the past. The recent news of Tom Brokaw, um, that, you know, the woman came out and she was like, "I don't want anything out of this. You know, I don't want money. I don't want a settlement or anything else. I just want other people to know." You know, she told her story to Variety. Washington Post covered it as well. But then, I mean, you have at last count, I think I saw like 65 NBC News employees, including, you know, people like Rachel Maddow. Like a lot of people that are high level ranking news names that you would know were all backing Tom Brokaw, saying that they did not have that experience. And I just worry sometimes, like, are you sitting there saying that this woman didn't experience this? Are you saying that she's lying? Then, you know what I mean? But obviously, you have had great experiences with Tom Brokaw, and you want to support him. So it's a, it's a fine line that we're all walking on both sides of it. I have no idea if Tom Brokaw did it, you know, but I have to say, I don't know why this woman would tell the story otherwise. That seems kind of weird uh, to come out of the blue and just be like, by the way, like, he tried to, you know, he invited himself to my apartment and my hotel room, and I kept saying no, and it was uncomfortable. Also, this is how a lot of newsrooms were run for a really long time, and no one called it sexual harassment. It was just men sort of getting what they wanted. And that is a common thing, and it's a common theme. And I, I, I'm going to bet that the 2018 Tom Brokaw certainly doesn't operate the way the 1972 Tom Brokaw operated.
2: Yep. Yeah, there's a lot to that. But you, you were saying you don't know why somebody would say that. I'll tell you, having had a chance to hang out with some people that have been on television, uh, one of my friends, I, I've watched him, a very nice guy, very sensitive kind of uh, guy, and he'll, he, he's polite to everyone to a fault. And then I've watched women explode in public places because he's talking to another woman, and they're like, you talked to me for an hour. I thought you were interested in me. You're just a womanizer. And and I've watched this unfold repeatedly. It's sometimes how people perceive what they think is going on as opposed to the reality of it. And in Tom Brokaw's case, it's only one case.
4: Yeah, and not to mention there's always mental illness. There's people on YouTube who claim that the FBI kidnapped and castrated them. It's like... Why are they saying that? Because they're crazy. That's why.
3: Well, and the other thing I want to say is that um, when it comes to men and women dating, there needs to be way more communication because men think that, and, and this is, it goes back to like the Assis on Sorry case. Like men think that women are totally into it if they are engaging in some sort of sexual activity or you know kissing or anything else like that. When sometimes women are just. Uh, they think that if they just do one thing, like whether it's kiss him or go further, that they can just get out of the situation and go home because it'll be over. Um, so there is clearly a lack of verbal communication. There's a lack of reading physical body signs and physical body language um, that is happening with men and women dating. And that's what I really think happened. With DSDs. I'm sorry. The girl felt really um, unable to really communicate that she was very uncomfortable with what was happening And she was just doing things to then sort of let the evening end so she could go home. And he's thinking, great, you know, here she is. Like, we're making out. The date's going a little bit further. This is awesome. Let's see if we can move this a little bit further along to, you know, get her into bed. I don't know. And so there is a lot of communication that I think needs to happen. And that can also happen in a dating situation or in a work situation where someone might be pushing themselves a little bit too much where you have to be like, I have to put the boundary up. And, like, literally, if you have to say that, say it. Um,
6: like, you know, it's, it's funny, though. People, uncomfortable.
2: people are so sometimes so clueless, so lack of common sense. It, it reminds me, as you're talking about that, it, one of the most bizarre dates I ever had. I was set up on a blind date. My friend had said, oh, you should meet this gal. And I met her at a restaurant here in Minneapolis uh, called The Good Earth. And I show up to this restaurant, and she walks walks up to me, and she goes, Dave? And she's got this quizzical look. I go, yeah. And the first thing out of her mouth is, God, you're a lot more bald than I thought you'd be. Oh. And I thought, okay. How bald? Well, I right. mean,
4: is it like a scale from I, one I don't to know. Yeah, <laughs>
2: it's like, I
3: didn't know there was a scale on bald. And
2: if you hit, like, I don't know, if I'm at bald level eight, that's not datable. Seven and a half is still good. I wasn't sure. So we, we go in, and that first, I, but I was like, okay, people say dumb things, and they maybe they're trying to be uh, witty or whatever. We sit down. And we're eating and this is a very progressive you know hippy dippy kind of restaurant and and everything and this um couple walks in an interracial couple and they're sitting down and they're talking and holding hands and we're having a, an awkward okay first date kind of conversation when suddenly she turns and in a normal conversational tone goes oh my god i'm gonna puke if that n word kisses her oh my god <laughs> and and like oh my god it was like one of those surreal well, larry david oh. kind of moments where i just looked around i'm like did this just happen and I go, what? And and then, again, in same conversational tone like we're having right now, not like a, oh, I can't believe this is going on. She goes, it's like those homos over there. I can oh, barely no. eat. I'm so sick by oh. this. I and feel I, like she was,
4: like, trying to get you out of there. Right.
2: And that was my thought. Is, yeah. Okay, this has got to be. So I politely finish my <laughs> meal, and I go, all right, take care. Have a good night. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I thought we were going to a movie. And I said, mm. well, you've kind of. You know, throughout the meal, you've you've put me down. You've been obnoxious and rude to the people in the booths around us. And she and her whole concept was, well, I thought we were getting along. And I and I was like, uh, well, no, you know, I just was trying to be polite and get through this meal so I could go home. And and then she's like, well, I was really looking forward to getting out tonight, and I've got a babysitter, and I you know I don't usually get out. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I feel my guilt strings being plucked, and I'm like, uh, all right okay, I I want to see the movie anyway, let's go to the movie. To which then she turns to me and goes, well, since you're giving in on that, maybe you'll get lucky tonight. And then I got in my car, I said, I'll meet you over there. We got in our cars, she went over, and I drove home. And I was like, that's the perception of, see, sometimes you think, like Andy, oh, she's obviously wanting out of this date. No, she was just mental. Yeah, clearly she was. And there was no boundaries in what she, she whatever she wanted to say was the important thing of the night that,
7: so and so and i think that maybe an it's it's these these words are sticking in my throat christian they're sticking in my throat i think that you men uh will do that more frequently than women right and that men uh get into their you know testosterone storm or whatever and right. you know whatever a woman does or doesn't do that's yes and and it's and i th- i think you know maybe it's difficult for women to be forceful and say you know just just say i'm out of here now <laughs> you know I- know, and that may be part of that that whole situation. Is it's just a different communication style, and no one wants to be confrontational, or or no one wants to have an acrimonious uh, ending to an evening because that's uncomfortable and it's stressful for someone. And you get over yeah. it, but it's 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 difficult. And and <laughs>
2: like it's, the comedian Gary <laughs> Shandling, he goes, "I'm just not good at picking up signals. I need a woman out there with like those cones <laughs> waving in an airplane, letting me know it's time to land." And uh, but that's the exact kind of thing that's going on. People just. You're right, Rolf. They don't want confrontation. They figure, and you brought it up earlier, Kristen, with the idea of, well, you know, if I kiss him and you know make out, maybe we can just end the night, and that'll be where it goes. But to, to the guy, that was like, oh, this is going well. well she obviously mention, wants me here. There may be
5: a little too much alcohol involved.
2: What? Because
5: you
6: know, yeah, really. Like
5: on a first date, I've had plenty of first dates, but I will not drink on the first date. I mean, if she wants to, that's fine. I get it. But uh, I've been called out for not drinking on a date, and I'd be like, well, it's the first date, and I want to get to know you, and I want to be sober. Because I've seen it go the other way, where like a date will be tipping them
2: back, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, i got to get out of here. I worked at a college uh, bar in Winona, Max's, and I was the bouncer, and the the owners took me aside, and they go, listen, you're going to have a lot of beautiful women throw themselves at you at the end of the night. Do not do it. And I'm like, what are you talking Mm -hmm. about? I'm like, I'm 20 years, 21 years old? Why wouldn't I? And they're like, no, 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 no. This is the answer you give them. And it was a stock answer. And, and it worked, but it was it was so funny. I'm I'd always gay. tell them, no, I'd tell them, hey, you know what? I'm really flattered that you feel this way, and, uh, you know, i got to go home after work tonight, but if you feel this way when you're sober tomorrow, feel yeah. free to stop by and I'll buy you a drink. And, you know, I think I had three out of 500 that, that hit on me at the bar at closing time come back. So it was, you know. Well, that was the thing. In alcohol too. does make that that I, like bad decision. I was
9: the bouncer
5: at the fraternity, and I was the social director, right? so I had to plan all the parties. And it was the same way. And I was like, oh, I got to be sober right. I have to drive girls home. And yeah, mm. just. Mm. Oh, and then you're the caring guy who's taking them
2: yeah. home, Mike.
7: You're so sweet oh, cute, and cute yeah. and funny. Yeah, with that that yeah. and and Kristen sees right through that. She's she's <laughs> a, what a slippery <laughs> come like, on. Hey, yeah, to, you, 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 know, you would you would see right through that. You know, oh, I can see this. Give me, you know, I'll get an Uber. I don't want any park here to ride home. <laughs> And you, see, then you have
3: to be careful of your Uber driver. Oh, my god! Oh, yeah. There are so many dangers.
2: Did you see the article that was out? And I think it was Molly Ringwald that wrote it, and she's kind of revisiting all of the John Hughes movies, and then now yes. kind of looking at them through the hashtag Me Too and going, yeah, some of these were just not a good idea.
3: Isn't that interesting? I mean, you can go through 16 Candles, and then right. you start thinking about that, and you're like, oh. Right, the,
2: the Jake... <laughs> hands off his hot, sexy, overly drunk girlfriend, Anthony Michael Hall who ends up having sex with her when she didn't even know it because she was so drunk and, you know, in the movie it was funny and charming and now when you sit back you're like, oh my god, that's date rape.
3: Yeah. You're like, that's completely creepy and right. awful and horrific yeah, it's so, and the actress like, she went out with the actress that played that hot, sexy girlfriend and she was like, oh, i never felt that way about it, like I feel, oh, I'm okay, and then after they had lunch together and she had some time to sit and think about it, she goes oh my god, you're right You know what I mean? It's like sometimes someone needs to hit you over the head with it, and then you need to let that, like, injury sink in, and you're like, wow. Because it was just a different time, and we portrayed things differently in in film, and... You know, tell those stories, and now you're like, wow, that was really awful. There was
2: a a great scene. I don't know if you ever watched the Goldbergs, which to me is like my version of uh, the Wonder Years, watching the 80s. This kid grow up. He and his buddy go to his sister's college, and they decide they're going to pull a Revenge of the Nerds and do the panty raid. And halfway through it, they're like, God, I just feel icky. This is weird why is it so funny in the movies and so disturbing in person? And uh, you, you do, you get that different perspective as you get older, looking back at what was really funny and entertaining, and now you're just like, oh my God, that's really awkward and uncomfortable. Why was that so funny in 1983, and well,
4: it's, now it's not? It's, it's, an, it's an interesting how people are like, they look back on that kind of thing, and they're like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I can't believe you know we used to watch that. And then they'll watch a movie where someone you know gets their head ripped in half by a zombie, and they're like, ha, 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 funny. It's like, why is that not disturbing, but the other thing is disturbing? It just doesn't make any sense.
3: Watching Mickey Rooney play a Japanese landlord in <laughs> Breakfast at Tiffany's please. yeah. <laughs> I mean I yep. love that movie and you just you sit there and you go I can't even watch it, it ruins the rest of the movie
2: yeah it's cringeworthy and that's you know they, they took some heat with the, the Simpsons talking about Apu and the fact that uh,
6: mm-hmm.
2: uh, Hank Azaria has done the voice for so long and then they did that kind of aside where she's like you know what do you do when it's something that was funny and topical 25 years ago is now considered offensive and you know it's already part of that culture and part of that show that's got such a deeply embedded root system and, and to Hank Azaria's um, credit and defense, he stepped up and said, you know what? I'm okay to be replaced, and I, I get that now, and I follow it, and I, you know, my intention was never to hurt. My intention was always to be a positive influence. So I guess there are some celebrities that are seeing the way. Thank you, Kristen. I know the hour went by quick. We appreciate you. We'll uh, talk to you again next week.
0: We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Bernard Show. A U.S. serviceman has become the world's first man to ever receive a full
4: penis and scrotum transplant. I'm surprised it's taken so long. I mean, it's not like the most complex thing in the world. No, it isn't. So
9: I was going to ask Ralph if he had heard about this or not. No, the, but the
4: they'll and scrotum.
7: They'll try to put it, everything back on. But I wonder, they, they didn't? Do did they do this? The testicles
0: as well? Yeah, it, it says, says scrotum, full penis, and well, scrotum. Well,
4: scro, uh, No, not the testicles. So not the testes. Well, then why even bother <laughs> with what? the scrotum part? <laughs> Well, that, what they'll do is they'll have that the
7: sack there oh, They can fake. put artificial yeah. the oh don't turn your nose up and take a lot of guys run around with some a fake testicle or two. Yeah, and they you know it's, it gives you the uh the sense of being whole. No there different you go. Than, no different than a woman having breast enlargement.
0: Why didn't they just I stick guess. with the baby elephant trunk? Oh that uh, that's a terrible story. <laughs> it's a great joke. What are you talking about? <laughs> you ever heard that one, Andy? <laughs> no. So, a guy's on his motorcycle, gets in an accident. He's in the hospital. He wakes up, and the doctor says, I got some really bad news for you, man. We had to cut off your penis and your your testicles. We had to cut everything off. He said, but the timing might be okay because we've just learned how to transplant a baby's baby elephant's trunk to your uh, lower region. He goes, oh, God, thank God. He goes, well, you know, it's... It's shown a great deal of promise, so we'll see what happens. So the guy uh, gets the baby elephant trunk in the place of his penis. A few months later, he decides it's time to go out on a first date. So he goes through Tinder or Match.com or whatever. They go out for a date. Right in the middle of the date, he can feel the baby elephant trunk unzipping his fly from the inside. (laughs) And the trunk reaches up on the table, grabs a bun and disappears beneath the table again. And the woman goes, my God, that was unbelievable. That was really impressive. Can you do that again? The guy said, "Yeah. only problem is I don't know if I can get another bun up my ass. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. I don't know if I can take another hard roll. (laughs) Take Um. another hard roll up the keister. But other than that... (laughs) Uh, per USA Today, the veteran was injured by an IED years ago while on combat tour in Afghanistan. Surgeons from the Johns Hopkins School of uh, University School of Medicine announced the historic news on Monday after performing the unprecedented surgery in Baltimore last month. The patient is expected to recover both urinary and sexual function. How can he without testicles?
7: Oh, it's, uh, that's uh, that's.
4: Separate, entirely
7: separate. Yeah, um, it's
4: secondary, really. Yeah,
7: That secondary sex drive is driven by you know any kind of testosterone production. Um, but you don't need you don't need the the you don't need the uh, the uh, wedding tackle uh, complete <laughs> to uh, be able to sexually function. It's what, just the nerve. The what do you mean by <laughs> the that? wedding tackle? You know what I mean. You uh, know I what no I idea, mean. No idea,
9: baby elephant yeah. trunk. <laughs> the boy's down there.
7: So they Boys. so, so it, it, they have to have the nerve working because you have to have a sensation in the penis itself, right? Right. And so they're going to rin, re- and that's going to take time to regrow. Yeah. But then once you get the the arteries and veins in there, pff, that thing will just load right up when it needs to.
0: Mm-hmm. This is unbelievable. Surgeons said they rebuilt the man's entire pelvic region over the course of fourteen hours. Jesus. Per the AP, the scrotum <laughs> transplant did not include the donor's testicles, meaning reproduction won't be possible. We just felt there were too many unanswered ethical questions with that extra step. Yeah, I can see that. Said Dr. Damon Cooney. Three other successful penis transplants have been reported, two in South Africa and one in 2016 at Massachusetts General Hospital. Those transplants involved only the penis, not extensive surrounding tissue, that made this transplant much more complex. The entire pelvic region. The entire pelvic region. Hopkins is screening additional veterans to see if they're good candidates for this type of reconstructed transplant. The Hopkins patient received an uh, extra experimental step, an infusion of bone marrow from his donor that research suggests may help a recipient's immune system better tolerate a
4: transplant. I'm surprised they haven't thought of that what? before. I mean, that's, you know, where lymphocytes come from and everything. So Yeah, but
7: this whole thing about graft versus host disease. I mean, you put dump that in there. And I guess graft versus out, host and you bone out, marrow,
4: and you're kind of dead. Yeah, so. that's
7: that's a rough business. Yeah. So, yeah, but they're, they're trying. They're once, as as people, as physicians, and as medicine learns how to manipulate uh, the immune system more and more, you can see mm-hmm. more and more of these things because they then they if they can manipulate it, then they can ameliorate the graft versus host disease and that sort of stuff.
0: So that's good. Yeah. There's nothing but good news here. Um, in any case, surgeons said there, that it uh, is enabling the veteran to take one anti-rejection drug instead of several. Cool. That's the, because the bone marrow. Yeah. In a statement from Hopkins, the patient uh, was quoted as saying, When I first woke up, I felt, I felt
4: finally more normal. I would think you'd feel horrible after your ha- entire pelvic region is reconstructed, but Yeah,
7: but having started out with nothing there with any pro- oh, man, he probably had a super pubic tube. He wasn't he was like
4: Well, he probably didn't have any feeling in the region at all at first. <sighs> man,
7: if they rebuilt his pelvis, part of his pelvis, yeah. man, lo- that's a big deal. Oh, what a project. How many 14 hours?
4: hours. 14, that's That's yeah. a
7: lot of surgery. That's a lot of surgery, a lot of blood. A lot of blood.
4: Yeah. That's that a too. messy place. Indeed. It is all true, so... Yeah, a lot well, of surgery is still pretty uh, yep. medieval.
6: Because <laughs> yeah, we don't yeah.
4: know a whole lot about, uh, you know... It's The only nerves we can grow are non-peripheral nerves?
7: No, peripheral nerves can regenerate. Peripheral nerves. Given the right... But still, it's very imperfect, and it's not... Because sometimes uh, they'll grow yep.
4: into the wrong nerve, and then That's right. at that point you're just kind of screwed.
7: That's right. The axons can only grow in certain areas.
4: Yeah, I'm... I don't understand why we can't just like make basically a wire that connects two nerves. Can't we just like it's make too... an artificial axon?
6: No,
7: too complex. Way more complex than just electrical current. Mm. So,
4: so. See? See?
7: Andy, you got to go to medical school. Yeah, Get when,
4: you when are you going me- to, medical school, Andy? You go
7: to medical school? You're halfway there already. Well, I mean,
4: you know? I know the electrical signal goes along the myelin sheath, but we know how to insert. Um, Stem cells that become myelin. Well, that's, that's Mike
0: and JB and I are just going to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I Have no idea what the hell you guys are talking about. Now, Andy, why don't you go to medical school?
4: Mm-hmm. Too hard. There's
0: too hard. You already know it all. Too much work. Yeah, get off your ass and go to medical school. I'll go Dr. to nighttime
4: Andy. medical school. Doctor Panda. That's what we'll call you. <laughs> if I had to wake up at 6 a.m. for a year, I'd probably die. You could go to night I'd school. Literally, just die. I don't think they have... You don't, go to, you don't get up at 6 a.m. to medical school? For residency, though? Well, that's a, that's a little yeah. bit of a
7: crabgrass in the lawn of being a physician, granted. but yeah.
0: Residency yeah,
7: but is the main reason. Well, it depends. It's a minimum of three years, up yeah. to six, to seven, eight.
0: Well, get off your Sounds ass. Sounds pretty bad. You need to become a doctor. Uh, a U.S. appeals court on Monday favored humans over animals in a novel copyright lawsuit filed over a series of entertaining selfies taken by a monkey with a toothy grin. U.S. copyright law does not allow lawsuits that seek to give animals the rights to photographs of their original work. They're animals,
4: and it's a selfie. How much could it be worth? The Ninth
0: U.S. Or- oh, it's the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Do they bring every goofy case yep. to the Ninth? Yeah,
7: they do. The every ninth.
0: goofy case is at the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Copyright infringement can only be claimed on behalf of humans, the court said. Per the AP, the unanimous three-judge panel upheld a lower court ruling that dismissed the lawsuit by the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals. Oh, it's
4: PETA.
0: It's PETA. Like I said, every goofy case goes to the ninth. Uh, Against a photographer whose camera was used by a crested macaque to... uh, Don't be giggling over there, JB. (laughs) Grow up for crazy. Show some maturity. (laughs)
9: Uh <laughs> it's where you put the emphasis when you said the word emphasis. When you said the word macaquo. It is pronounced macaque. It is pronounced macaque. Unfortunately.
0: It is. Uh, it's Hey, it's not spelled that way. Yeah, it's M-A-C-A-Q-U-E. Macaque. Macaquay. There you go. To take the photos in two thousand eleven, PETA's two thousand fifteen suit against David Slater sought financial control of the photographs, including a now famous selfie of the monkey grinning for the benefit of the animal named Naruto. Jeff Kerr, general counsel for PETA, said the uh, group was reviewing the opinion and had not decided yet whether it would appeal. Naruto should be considered the author and copyright owner, and he shouldn't be treated any differently from any other creator simply because he happens to be not human. I have to sneeze.
7: (laughs) (coughs) What what will they ever think? (laughs) Thank you. What will they ever think of? Uh, it's just think unbelievable. of next. I mean, it's just, it's just it, it, the to extend. You know the difference between humans and animals. You know, and where do you? You just got to draw the line. It's draw the line. It's black, white. I'm sorry, green, gray. Yeah,
0: green, gray. Let's not go with black and white. <laughs> That's been used already. Hey, speaking of that, was some black woman arrested at Waffle House? Is that a new case now? Was there? What? It showed up on the screen. So you could could you? Uh, There was a black woman arrested at Waffle House. I know
9: know at that same Waffle House where those It's the same one? No, I was going to say. At at the same one, 12 hours later, a a baby was born.
4: Yeah, some woman pulled up to it and gave birth.
9: At the same exact one. The weirdest
4: thing in the world. Socially active Waffle House. Where where is is this place? place? Where is this Uh, I don't remember.
0: Why did they do... um, Well, the story is up on the front page of Newser. I saw it on there, so I don't know. What Beep, the, is that it? Mm-hmm. An Alabama police department said Monday that three white police officers who threw a black woman onto the floor of a Waffle House during an arrest on Sunday threatened to break her arm, placed a hand on her throat, and exposed her breasts.
6: What?
4: Well, she could have just had a tube top on. I don't. I haven't seen the video. <laughs> okay, now here's the bad <laughs> news, uh,
0: JB. Mm-hmm. <laughs> An Alabama police department said Monday that three white police officers who threw a black woman onto the floor of a Waffle House during an arrest on Sunday threatened to break her arm, placed a hand on her throat, and exposed her breasts had acted appropriately. <laughs> Jesus, what do you have to do? <laughs> the officers from the Saraland Police Department were uh, sharply criticized after a cell phone video of the confrontation was posted on Facebook with some, uh, some calling them racist and overly aggressive, The footage starts with one of the officers standing over the woman, Chakesha Clemens. I'm Chakesha Banana, and I'm here to say. I've never seen this. C-H-I-K-E-S-I-A. Chakesha?
9: Chakesha? The the funniest thing happened last night. I was watching the Washington Capitals versus the Columbus Blue Jackets, and this guy scored for the Capitals, and his first name is Devontae.
0: R- Devonte
9: scoring a goal. <laughs> Devante Pelly Smith.
0: Wait a minute, Devontae scoring a Pelly.
9: goal. <laughs> it's like Devontae. Well, you know, and yes, he's a brother.
0: He's a brother. Devontae <laughs> scores. I like it. Devonte scoring. Well, there's a lot of black players in, in the yeah, NHL. Yeah, there's
9: probably that. about thirty five in the league now. No, yeah. Absolutely. Out of
4: what's the total
9: Well, there's 30, what, 31 teams, and there's, what, 28, about 26 guys on a team. So so. let's go
0: 1,530.
4: Right. So, you know. What? 28 times. uh, 2%. Yeah, 28 times 30. That's only 840. 28 times. Oh, times 30. Thirty teams, twenty-eight you know, okay, players 20 per 20 team. Players is, that is that what
9: you
4: said? Thirty-one teams. Thirty. Well, okay, so yeah, eight hundred sixty. So 860.
9: thirty-five
4: out of eight hundred sixty. That's not quite one percent. But wait, no, it is. No, it's four
0: percent. It's four percent. Yeah. Well, look at that. See, mm-hmm. and Devonte's leading the pack.
9: That's no, all he's not. To. He's not one of the better, better ones. But it was just his first name stuck up
0: to me. I'm just telling you this, by the way. I didn't bring it up at the beginning of the show, but for now. For the foreseeable future on this show or the KQ Morning Show, you cannot say the words the and twins together. Okay. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear their name. (laughs) Is
9: it because they got swept this weekend by the worst team in baseball? By the worst team in baseball.
0: They got swept by the worst team in baseball. Their pitching is
9: horrible.
0: I mean, their pitching is just dreadful. Other than Barrios does a pretty good job, but. He got shelled a little bit himself.
9: It's so bad. as driving Mike, Mike to New York. <laughs> well, he's
0: always been a Yankee fan. He's always no. been a turncoat. But seriously, the Twin—I—I I don't want to hear the Wild. I don't want to hear. Although, Leopold did the right thing.
9: Yeah, he gaspiped him.
0: He gaspiped him. It was time. Hey, I gave you all the money in the world, paid all these players, all the money in the world. I gave you nine years, and you brought back nothing. Well, so he, its time to go.
9: Well, in the NHL, it's it's the last league where you would see this for the most part. There are a bunch of knucklehead general managers, and oh, then there's really? a bunch of goat ones. And the goat ones always fleece the knuckleheads. And oh, they do. Yeah, and the Wild's general manager wasn't do. He wasn't a knucklehead, but he wasn't fleecing anybody either. Yeah, you know? and that's why they just set Pat.
0: Well, they over they overpaid Parisian and Suter too.
9: There's no um, doubt that, about and that. they trust. Watch well, Devin Dumnick way too much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show. Tom Bernard here with my buddy and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Michael, this is a tough time for businesses, not only in the Twin Cities, but all over right now. Can you tell me a little bit about what North American Banking Company
8: is doing for your customers? Tommy at the bank, we're helping businesses with all of our tools at our disposal. Lenders are working as long as it takes with our customers to help them through these tough times. We've processed well over 300 loans for customers and funded over $70 million through the SBA's Paycheck Protection Program. Through our payment deferment program, our current customers were able to skip one, two, or even four payments with no penalty. Finally, being a locally owned and operated bank, we're able to move quickly and take action for our customers when they need us most.
0: Why not bank with my banker? God, I can't tell you how great (laughs) it is working with Billski. Did you record that, Andy? Could you send that to me? North American (laughs) Banking (laughs) Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK.
4: Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
5: Speaking of diapers, I went to Waffle
1: House last night. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought the IHOP was a dump until I went into a Waffle House. (laughs) Wow, they're not even trying in there. Here's something you'll never hear in a Waffle House. Nice job cleaning up. That's cool. Now, if you've never been to a Waffle House, just imagine a gas station bathroom that sells waffles. <laughs> <laughs> you've been to a Waffle House.
6: I love Waffle House. You know what, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I have never like been it. to a
4: Waffle House. I don't even know, do you've they even have them here?
9: No, we don't no, have the that's
4: a Ah, uh, well that'll be why. We've You've have never I... been to a waffle house.
0: No.
7: Really? No, how could I have been? Yeah, uh, I hop here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here.
9: yeah <laughs> I think they do. And Panakukin house. Hmm. House. That's something you
0: won't see in the South. Panakukin house? No, you're not gonna uh, see that in the South.
4: No.
9: But uh,
0: remember sh- Dennis Miller's joke about IHOP, the International House of Panky? I don't know if you've noticed you got these places called IHOP. It's International House of Pancakes. So basically they named them that so everyone would know these shitholes are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why pancake houses have such a bad reputation for cleanliness. I,
6: don't
0: know. <laughs> I was told, by the way, by a chef, a very high tone chef, don't ever order waffles in a restaurant. Because they cannot properly clean the griddle, the waffle griddle.
4: Yeah, waffle griddles are very difficult They're to clean. very
0: hard to clean, and therefore that's the first thing that attracts your cockroaches. Yeah. Great. That's great news. Wonderful.
9: Well, well you think that uh, guy that shot those four or six people, his dad should be yes, because held it, liable to... His dad
0: gave him his guns, guns back? back.
9: Right.
4: What are you
0: doing? This guy... Listen, what, he went to a pool and exposed himself to a bunch of kids. Yep. He uh, was threatened wearing,
4: people with a gun.
0: Threatened people with a gun, then he killed, what, four or five people?
4: No, the threatening people was before. The, yeah, it's it was a separate incident. Before, yeah. So, yeah, he should have been uh, not having any guns. Well, well, well that's, that's the thing. Again, they did gun control him, but then someone gave him a gun. I know, and that's you, what they do. You can't control people giving guns to criminals.
7: You can take uh, driver's license away from people, but people still drive. Yeah.
0: I mean, here's the problem that I have. If Taylor Swift wouldn't have been stalking him, <laughs> that might have really... Did you see that? That he yeah. claimed that Taylor Swift was stalking
4: him. That's pretty uh, pretty um, clear-cut psychotic behavior. She's
0: t- wire-tapped my phone. She's been using my credit card. She's
4: been yeah. stalking me. It's so weird how the human brain gets that way. Gets so messed up. They'll just, like, assume that anyone... They'll take just, like, a random figure in their lives and assume that that figure has like great interest in them even though it's now like you know what that? do you even do all day it's, all, it's not like you're a research scientist or something
7: uh, he, he was probably exposed in some way to her and had some maybe had an attraction to her or, you know it was a, it was That's a what I'm transposition of feelings or whatnot or, 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 or projecting feelings on someone else who knows yeah. who knows but it, this is sort of this is one of the other thing this is just another consequence of not providing good um, yeah. secure mental health yep. care. For yep. people. You got the homeless people and you got these wing, wing nuts that are doing this sort of stuff.
4: And naturally, the parents uh, didn't do a great job either, it seems. At least the dad didn't. You I know. don't know about mom. But I have you a know. feeling she wasn't super great, but Probably you never yeah. know.
7: Get them, into, get them into a system where they can be looked after and cared for so they're not victimized and so they don't hurt other people. Nope. Only voluntarily. One Which of Which
0: fa- means never. Yeah. One of my favorites of all time, I had a friend who's no longer with us. His first name was Perry. I don't need to tell you his last name, but he was a psychologist, sociologist, that kind of guy. And I was sitting there talking to him, and he said, well, hang around and schmooze until my next client gets here. So we're talking and, you know, having a good time, talking about this, that, and the other thing. And he said, that's so weird now. It's like a half an hour. My next client should have been here half an hour ago, but I guess he's not coming, so may as well just go ahead and hit the road i said okay so he walks over he opens the door and a guy's standing in the doorway in a karate pose (laughs) i'm like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh hey perry boy look at the time i'd like to stick around and defend you i mean help i mean the guy was out there for a half an hour standing in a karate pose in a defensive karate pose for and not moving for a half an hour
7: Poor things. I mean, and 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 those 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 instances go on and on and on. I mean, how many people? You know, there used to be some guy in Chicago had a cape on and he'd be screaming and preaching uh, the Bible in the middle of of a small park there on uh, on uh, what do you call it? Uh, shore not Lakeshore Drive, Michigan Avenue. Michigan Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
4: The human brain is water tower. Yeah. The human brain is so complex. It's like if you take a random cluster of transistors out of a cpu you never know what's going to happen to it but you know multiply that by however many you know billions of neurons we have uh you take out some random cluster and you know what's going to happen bingo and we'd have really no idea what some random like if you picked out a little part of the brain they could say it's like okay that's the temporal lobe but it's like you know what does this part even do and they'll have no idea yeah. Which is really weird to me. It's really unfortunate that, that you can't
0: interview psychiatrists and psychologists and sociologists because they can't nope. really talk about
4: it. Mm-hmm. You can't interview them. But I have, I have heard stories. Well, now, I mean, I, you can know. interview them if they're anonymous and their patients are anonymous. I think. Yeah,
0: that's, I, if they're anonymous, you probably could. But there was a, there was another friend of mine who was a psychologist. Uh-huh. And he had a patient that kept committing these crimes. And he would tell them, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I didn't commit these crimes. And they kept sending them back to the same psychologist. And what they finally found out was he he didn't think he was doing the crimes because he thought, and he really thought 100% true, he said, I do not commit those crimes. My body does, but I don't. Mm -hmm. They said, what do you mean by that? He said, there was a snake living in his stomach, and the snake would rise up through his throat into his brain and commit crimes, and then it would recede back into his stomach.
4: And nowadays we call that dissociative identity disorder. Well, holy
0: God. He actually believed that was true, though, yeah. that a snake would go up into his head and cause his body to commit crimes that he didn't want to commit. So
7: how do you take care? You see, that's a, that's a terribly tragic story, so, so sad. Yep. And how do you, uh, where do you start with that?
4: Yeah, it's like the guy's a victim, but he's also a danger, so... Yeah. It's not like you can just let him roam free in society because he had a bad lot in life. I mean, it's like, you know, it sucks, but if you're dangerous, you have to be separated. That's just how it is. Yeah, you do. That is unfortunate. Speaking of um, involuntary action, uh, and this plays into the fact that dissociative identity disorder aka multiple personality disorder is you know a real thing. So there's a treatment for epilepsy, very severe epilepsy where they basically just cut your brain in half and that takes care of the seizures for really? whatever reason. Well, I suppose it because the seizure would only be limited to the half of the brain that it starts in, so it can't cross over to the other one. But one of the side effects is For someone who's done that before, they'll put them in a room with one monitor that only their left eye can see and one only their right eye can see. And they'll show something on the right um, and say, tell me what you see. And they'll say, I can't tell you what I see. I don't see anything. But then they'll say, could you draw what you think is on the monitor? And they can draw what's on the monitor. But they they don't know what's on there because they can't see it. But they can draw it. Yep. Yeah. So because it, half of your brain is sep. It uh, processes like the kind of visual uh, stuff like that. But the other half processes language. So there's no communication. So you can see it, but you can't say what it is. But you still have that mental image in your head.
7: Yeah. You're not. You're. You're not visually seeing it. But it's being processed as some sort of a, uh, a a graphic image so you can draw it. Very, it's a, very bizarre. Yeah. Well, that's... It's depressing as hell. Yeah, you know, that's the frontal lobec- lobotomy where you just cut the corpus callosum between the yep. two. What was that guy's dinosaurs. name
4: again? Dr. Walter? Well, that's something different. Corpus callosotomy is like... It's still a thing that they do. Yeah, but that's... It's uh, rare, but... Well, know. that's what they do when you say you're dividing the brain. That's what you're doing. Yeah.
7: That's the communication.
4: But you're thinking of the ice uh, pick lobotomy the guy. The ice pick lobotomy guy. It's a bit guy. different. What's his name Dr. Walter Clemens or something like that. Yeah, they don't uh, the hell was his name again. Man, I don't think they do those anymore.
0: Take a an nice pick and just hammer it in there with a little hammer. Right right
4: in there. Um, um, that felt good, I bet. Up underneath up, up
9: above the eye. Antonio
4: yeah. Moniz. No, that's not the guy. Well, yes it is. No, it's not.
0: Actually I, I,
9: ant- I would hope he did this under like Anesthesia? No. No, mm. no I'm talking no. about with um, like when they go to inject my uh, ankle, Sterily? Yeah, it's kind of hard. No, I'm talking about, but they um, like numb it. Im- imaging.
7: No, oh, no, for, no, there's,
4: no. There's no. no, this imaging?
9: was in the 40s. Oh, okay. Yeah, no imaging.
4: The- they would literally just go into the brain, destroy you know yeah. however much they felt like, and go. Well, let's hope this works.
6: Yeah, that was um,
4: James Watts. Was a neurosurgeon who. Uh, was partnered with a guy named Walter Freeman.
0: Walter Freeman, that's who I was thinking of.
4: Uh, they became... Freeman, yep. They're the ones who spread the lobotomy to America. Yes. I think. Walter Freeman. Uh, yep, and then Rosemary Kennedy kind of put a, the kibosh on that procedure. Yeah, they did
0: because the Kennedy family didn't want... The old man, Joe Kennedy, didn't want to deal with her because she was a handful, so we had her lobotomized.
4: And yeah, Then she went... What a great yeah. family. Yep.
0: What a barn burner of a family they are, no question about it. All these politicians are all my favorites. first hour we talked about how the new regime is jacking up the price of everything because of the new tax uh, bill. And now this, this hour we're talking about some other, different, other politicians that turned on their own family. But other than that, they're really good people, all of them. Former President George H.W. Bush has been hospitalized in Houston with an infection just after attending the funeral of his wife, Barbara, a spokesman said on Monday. Jim McGraw said on Twitter that the 93-year-old Bush is responding to treatments and appears to be recovering. He was admitted Sunday morning to Houston Methodist Hospital after an infection spread to his blood. McGraw said. McGraw wouldn't elaborate Monday night on the specifics of Bush's condition, saying additional updates would be issued as events warrant. But he said the 41st president was eager to get well so he can get to his summer home in Kennebunkport, Maine. I kind of doubt it. He's the most goal-oriented
4: person on this planet, McGraw said. If your wife dies and then you get really, really ill, that usually means you've given up on life. Mm-hmm. It does, doesn't it? Dying of a it broken heart. a lot, yeah. yeah. I'm
9: curious say they call it dying of a broken heart. Yep. And I Wait. can
4: imagine, you know, you're married to the same woman for, has to have been 73 a years. Yeah, 73 years. She's gone. That's a pretty big life change.
9: My parents were married 50, almost 59, and we had to keep, Close watch on my mother. Yeah, the, oh, the, the yeah. because yeah. she had stopped eating and really mm-hmm. taken yep. care of herself and
0: it's true. First Lady Melania Trump, who attended Barbara Bush's funeral, sent her best wishes to the former president Monday evening, sending healing thoughts of strength along with prayers for George President George H. W. Bush tonight. Melania Trump tweeted, Barbara Bush was laid to rest on Saturday in a ceremony also attended by former presidents Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, and their wives. She was not—where the hell was Jimmy Carter?
9: Isn't he dead? No, no. Jimmy— Jimmy's only
0: about 96,
9: isn't he? Yeah. Oh, well, then— I saw a photo of him and his wife. He's yeah, ninety.
0: He's only ninety three. He's only Oh, he's only ninety three. Never mind that. He does
4: live in a nursing home. So. Oh, Jimmy does. Yep. Oh, I didn't know Jimmy was in a nursing home. Now. Uh, well, wait. It's hard that. to say. There's so yeah, much stuff true. on a president's Wikipedia page. It's like, who can tell what's outdated or not?
7: Yeah, is that like a, so? That would be like Trump's presidential library, a <laughs> you <know>, Wikipedia page. Wikipedia, <laughs> probably it's be digital page, anyway. That's it's terrible.
4: Interesting because we actually had a dog who had the same thing. She uh, lived in the same kennel as a male dog. She was a what do you call him? Collie. A collie. And yeah. He was a uh, Irish setter. Irish setter. Yep. And the Irish setter died, and the collie just ran into the woods and died. Because she was just so eating. sad that her, you know, friend yeah. was gone. It's, it's interesting that even a dog has that reaction.
0: It's true; they, they do indeed. But hopefully, uh, President, uh, former President George H. W. Bush will recover. Although, at oh, ninety-three years old, look he's at not, that. Those hospitalizations were not publicly disclosed. I think Dad got sick on purpose so they could be with her. Jeb Bush said, "Well, there you go." <laughs> yeah, that Dad's kind of given up. Is that what he's yeah. indicating?
4: Well, I mean, you know, 93 is a pretty good run,
9: I
0: must
4: say. 92.5.
9: I I had to call my siblings and say, you know, she's giving up. You guys have got to get her to want to stick around. I understand. You're absolutely
0: right. Happy days are here again. No doubt about it. We will be right back in a couple of seconds. We have a very special guest, Joe Hagan. Sticky Fingers, the life and times of Jan Wenner and Rolling Stone magazine. We'll be back with Joe in just a couple of minutes, Tom But aren't you? Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry, It just around Ladies and gentlemen, we're back, Tom Bernard show, our very special guest, Joe Hagan. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am doing very, very well. <laughs> I... Uh, I just have been reading some of the comments on the back cover of your book, Sticky Fingers, The Life and Times of Jan Wenner and Rolling Stone Magazine. And I just saw what Paul McCartney said. Jan is very good friends with Bono, but you can see it. I think it's a little bit obvious. When I saw that, I thought, they're going to get a great review, whether it's great or not. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. There you have
10: it. There you have it. God,
0: you got everybody, everybody's uh, quote on this one. Uh, Winter thinks like a water moccasin. Uh, uh, Hunter S. Thompson, what a fucking editor. He's crazy, but he's got a dream. So I can't really tell, Joe, did people like Jan Wenner or not? <laughs> I, can't, I well, can't
10: tell. It's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag out there. Um, you know, he. Uh, the question is, does he care?
0: Yeah, right.
10: Um, but, you know, but he did it one time, let's just put it that way. You know, he, the story is a, of an incredibly ambitious kid in San Francisco who invents Rolling Stone and recognizes that rock and roll is going to be a giant cultural force and legitimizes it and then uses the magazine to kind of like social climb through the culture for like 50 years, you know, and meets and transacts everybody you can imagine from the Beatles to the Stones to you know, Jimmy Carter to uh, Hunter Thompson you name it all, all these amazing galaxy of characters who uh, helped make the culture what it is
0: It is. Uh, what year did, uh, did Jan Winter start Rolling Stone magazine? In which year? It
10: was November of 67 So that so era It's 50 years old as we speak and um, you know if we were 50 years ago now i'm trying to think what would have been i can even remember what was on the cover it might have been a beatles cover um this time in 68 so um yeah and you know he kept a magazine going for 50 years which is a big tall order uh, in this culture for something to hang on that long
0: what's amazing to me about that because i uh the reference i always make is i was 11 years old when john kennedy was assassinated so yeah. I'm part of that rock and roll generation. And watching how a form of music changed the world completely, and it did. This is what yeah. it, people said this many oh, that changed the world, this changed the world. Rock and roll music absolutely changed the world because, first of all, it, it's music that crossed over racially, and not much of that had been done before. But and a point I, I, I always bring up to, I, I was just talking to John Lodge from uh, the Moody Blues yesterday. And we were talking about when, when the Beatles kicked off the British invasion, as they called it, they changed the, the economy of Western Europe completely. Western Europe was still suffering mightily from World War II because it was pretty much destroyed and the Beatles going out and bringing all of that money back and, and, and the British invasion when all of them went out around the world, whether it's the Rolling Stones or Herman's Hermits or whomever, yeah, all of that money came back to England. It changed the world forever. It's amazing.
10: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, as uh, Tom Wolfe uh, once told Rolling Stone magazine, and this, this quote's in my book, it was the first time in the history of man that young people had money.
9: Right. And right. Right.
10: Yeah, and it changed, that rock and roll was the first expression of their kind of, you know, the spirit of their age and what they were going to be about. With it. It's like uh, the freedom and the, the freedom to take over the world in the way they wanted to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would tell you this though, Joe, when I, as I got older, I was 16 I thought, oh man, you know, the, the era you're talking about when Rolling Stone magazine started, I had just, uh, I was 15, 16 years old and and I remember seeing my first hippies and this, that, and the other thing. And uh, as time went on over the next couple of years, 1967, 68, 69, I realized, you know, these hippies are all drug dealers. What's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, it's
10: funny because one of the things that I think surprised me, I guess it shouldn't have, but was, you know, yes, I knew people were doing drugs, it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but how profound drugs were and central they were
2: oh yeah to the culture that
10: Rolling Stone documented and drove I mean uh, you really see that in the book a lot you know some people in the reviews complained about uh, There's too many drugs in this book but well that's how it was
0: you know <laughs> no you're hundred percent right they're doing a lot there are not too many drugs in the book it's how it really was uh, when you look at at that era again how music had changed, in the 60s, the fact that all of our heroes were being gunned down, whether it be John F. Kennedy or Martin Luther King Jr. or you go on and on, Bobby Kennedy and and several people, there was a lot of anger, a lot of death. As a matter of fact, right now the anger in America reminds me of uh, the mid-60s and the late 60s because everybody yeah. was very, very angry at, at one another, and if you didn't agree with me, you were my enemy. But what happened was Rolling Stone Magazine, was uh, the Harvard Lampoon because of Doug Kinney and Henry. It became the National Lampoon. Uh, then Lauren Michaels stepped up and kind of took their idea and brought it to television. Saturday Night Live started up a couple of years later. I mean, it that era, and I guess... The magazines, because people were picking up magazines back then, whether it be the National Lampoon or, or Rolling Stone or whatever, it did change everything. I mean, yeah. I, I remember going from from uh, issue to issue, just waiting to see the next Rolling Stone or waiting to see the next National Lampoon and the ideas that they would, would have come up with. Uh, it changed everything in that one period. Yeah.
10: Well, listen. Rolling Stone was like a, a kind of like weekly chronicle of yep. of this of the of the rock and roll generation, kind of um, formulating its worldview, you know. And then you get to watch that worldview slowly take over the world in real time. I mean, if you read my book, you get up to the Carter uh, Jimmy Carter um, running against Ford in seventy six. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rolling Stone was right in the middle of that election. Yeah, you know, they. They helped throw the uh, campaign um, party uh, at the convention in New York City in, in the summer of 76. I mean, they were very integral in part of it, and it's because Jimmy Carter smartly wanted to tap the youth vote, right? And so Jan turned Rolling Stone into kind of a youth lobby uh, that was supporting, you know, at the time, Democratic candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that same year he sends John Dean, famously of the Watergate, Scandal to go cover the Republican National Convention. I mean, it was like he was really at the center of things, and um, that was exciting because if you were whatever age you were, you're interested in, you know, Led Zeppelin or whatever. But you can also get this. You know, it's like you're—it's bigger than just rock.
0: It was. It absolutely was. It was worldwide. It wasn't just the United States. I mean, there was a lot of focus in the United States, but it was worldwide. Uh, What fascinates me about the whole story. Going all the way back uh, to, I guess, 1963. I suppose is when when uh, the British invasion really started. The Beatles, at least. I think they Ed Sullivan in 1964. Is that? I think that's correct. Yeah. yeah right. But when I look back, Nirvana is probably the last iteration of what rock and roll became, and not a whole lot new has happened since Nirvana. And I'm wondering, with the political attitudes that exist now in America, that I I will tell you, Joe, I I, I do a morning show as well as this show, and I I try to – I'm pretty centrist in my thinking, but people on the far right think that I'm the devil, and people on the far left think I'm uh, Rush Limbaugh. (laughs) It's just really weird. It's odd that they have to – because, you know, the show is, is pretty popular and all that, Thank you know, you know, whatever the situation is there. But will there be a new form of music that will express all of this anger the way it did in the 1960s and then carry on from there? Will music change because of this, or or can it change? Or some, is something else going to have to happen?
6: Well,
10: I don't think music is the vehicle for... You know the youth expression of politics anymore? Right. I mean, the, th- the thing that was unique about that era was it was the music, yes, but it was also the the medium. You know, the mediums were the message too. Yep. You only had a handful of magazines, four or five record labels, three newspapers, and three TV stations. This is a narrow kind of band within which everybody received the culture. Yeah. Right. Why and now you have this infinite kind of like leveled field of the internet in which everything's there's a million subcultures, everybody can mm. talk and it's uh, you know, the Facebook and Twitter and these things, they are the new forms of expression because everybody can just talk right at everybody else.
6: Yeah. And why? in some ways
10: everybody it's all diminished, right? It's, none of it is as powerful as it once was. So there's no concentrated kind of like art form that is uh you know, connecting people that way anymore, and rock and roll certainly has lost its traction a long time ago. You know, so uh, it's a new world, and there are new kinds of ways that people are connecting. But it's difficult to even compare. It's apples and oranges in so many ways.
0: It is absolutely. You know, Joe. It's interesting. Whenever I get involved in an, in an interview like this, I also look at the clock and I go, "Wait, I have to." We have to talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 2018 as well. Time flies uh, <laughs> in certain interviews, but. I uh I'm suffering through the uh 2018 Hall of Fame uh, inductions because yeah. the producer of my show in my morning show is John Lassman, the guy who uh John Bon Jovi thanked for discovering him at WAPP in New York. So I've had to put up oh, with wow. with that for about a week now. It's like, oh my god, I'm never going to hear the end of it. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those deals. What did you think about the induction?
8: Uh
10: well, I, I was kind of um, fascinated with it for a couple of reasons. One, uh, you know, in my book, Jan Wenner says that he doesn't think Bon Jovi, you know, was worthy mm-hmm. of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and didn't right. think that he meant anything to rock history. And, of course, this created a big furor, As everybody knows, Bon Jovi, he outed Jan as the one who had was keeping him out of the Rolling Stone. I mean, I'm sorry, out of the Rock and Roll Hall, Hall, Hall of Fame. Of fame. Yeah, yeah. And so these guys had a tiff going on. And so for him to finally get in was for some people a sign that, you know, we're, that Jan Winner doesn't have the influence that he once had, did. And I think that's true. Yeah, I probably. think the Rock of the Hall of Fame is go- undergoing some transformation now and has to kind of reconsider uh, what it's about, who's should be in. And they've tried to diversify their nominating committee. You know. um, and so there's been some alterations there. Then you had Nina Simone. Yeah. Uh, coming in, who's not really rock and roll, although you could say that her rebel spirit is very rock and roll. But she, you know, last year, Public Enemy uh, was inducted. So they're, they're having to broaden out what they mean, what the definition of rock and roll is. And uh, it's probably necessary because they got too conservative and narrow for so long that I they think, did. you know, it wasn't as interesting to people. Why and do you think? They're having to reinvent themselves a little bit for a post-Yon Winter. Rock and roll Hall of Fame.
0: (laughs) Why do you think it took the Moody Blues so long to get into the Hall of Fame?
10: Well, they're definitely sort of one of these groups that Jan and Rolling Stone and the critical apparatus probably didn't like. Yeah. And the the nominating committee was very much reflecting Jan Winner's worldview. You had John Landau and Dave Marsh and these sort of um, Rolling Stone, ex Rolling Stone rock critics who were doing the nominated and they all thought very much alike in many ways you, had, you know robbie robertson it's like a, a little bit of a a little mafia you know and yeah. they had their way of looking at it and the moody uh, i'm sorry the moody blues didn't um you know fit into the inner circle of what they thought was the best and uh i think after a while though you know they run out of people to induct
6: well, in the rock and roll
10: category especially yeah. from the 60s and 70s and it's probably has something you know in some cases, you learn in my book. There's actually personal beefs that went on between some of these people. Sure. In the case of the Moody Blues, I just think they were there was a bias against them from the critical uh, world of, that comes out of Rolling Stone magazine.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that, and and I think I think that's just how the world is. I, I had talked about you know people's view of me personally in this market. People just have their biases, and they don't want to hear anything uh, different. It's just how it is. So things take a while. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, yep. the 2018 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. you are talking Bon Jovi, The Cars, Dire Straits, Moody Blues, Nina Simone. And we want to thank Joe Hagan, our special guest. Sticky Fingers, if you have not read the book, you need to read the book, The Life and Times of Jan Winter, and Rolling Stone magazine. All of these people did change the world, whether you wanted them to or not. They just did. Joe, thanks for your time today, sir. Great talking to you. I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you on Monday with the family.